Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to the program. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and we are here in the New Southern Garden this morning. Just a glorious week we've had. It's just amazing what a few spring days can do. I think that pretty much every leaf on every tree is already flushed out, opened up, bright, shiny greens. And really, spring, spring is here. This is the pinnacle. We're getting there. We're gonna, we're gonna get hot soon. We are gonna have some flaming temperatures, and we're gonna wish winter was back. <laughs> oh, but no, we probably won't because we've got a lot of things to do this year. I don't know if you've got certain gardening plans, whether you're growing vegetables or shrubs, blooming flowers plants i should say blooming plants perennials and things maybe you've already rushed out to the garden centers and your local plant nurseries buying up flats of annuals to really add some wonderful color in your landscaping beds i know that uh, the customers at lanier nursery and gardens where you can find me throughout the week in flowery branch georgia customers are flocking out they're coming with friends coming with family it's the spring fever, and I've told you, it's a real thing. We've been cooped up all winter. We want to get out. And so it's that busy time of year for plant nurseries and garden centers. If you've been listening to this program, you know the best time to plant shrubs and trees and most perennials is going to be in the fall. But you still can plant all year long in the south. As long as you're buying plants that are in containers, which is how most of us are buying them. You're buying plants that have to be dug out of the ground. You may want to wait a little while. You need big trees that are wrapped in, their root balls are wrapped in burlap sacks. You'll want to be doing that over fall and winter for sure. Because when you dig a plant out of the ground, you only get about 10 or 15% of the root system. But when you purchase a plant from a garden center or local plant nursery and it's in a container, we call them containerized plants, you get 100%, 100% of that root system. And so the plant has no problem getting established. There's no damage to the roots. There's no reduction in the size of the root system. So as long as you keep it watered, don't let the root ball dry out. It will be able to grow and continue to prolificate under the ground, building its root system, which you and I can't see that happening. But that will happen uh, for the rest of the season and then through fall and winter. And then next year, your plant will really start growing some more foliage. All right. Don't be scared if this year when you put in your new shrubs or trees, it sort of just sits there because what they're doing uh, the first year is they're sort of sleeping. We say they're sort of sleeping that first year. 
There's a lot of activity happening, but it's all in the root system. It's all underground. You can't see it. Then the next year, they start to creep. So first year, they're sleeping. The next year, they're creeping, putting out a little bit of more growth. By the third year, by the third year, your plant will be leaping. All right? So that's the stages. It's a three-year cycle, pretty much. The first year, your plant's going to sleep. The second year, it's going to creep. And the third year, it leaps. And by year three to five, you're probably having to trim back and cut back. But see, the plant it doesn't have a brain. But if the plant had a brain, it would know that if it has a strong root system, then it will be able to grow as many leaves as possible. For every root, there is a shoot, we say. So the root system has to get established before really the, the top part, the foliage, the stems, before the top part of the plant really takes off. So keep your plants that you're planting this spring, keep them moist. Don't allow them to dry out. That's the hardest thing over summer, is making sure they don't dry out. But if you can do that, then you'll find that you'll have a happy, healthy plant and a wonderful garden. So if you've uh, missed last week's show, I want to say it came pretty timely for myself, actually. Last week, we talked about choking out pests early. And just yesterday, just yesterday, I was looking over some rose plants that I have at my house. And I already saw aphids. There were aphids on the, the, the roses are setting their flower buds and some of them are already blooming. But there were aphids on the flower buds. So I started removing them manually. Yes, that means I was squishing them and it was nasty, right? But that's one of the best ways to catch aphids early is to look for them and make sure that you eliminate them before they become a major problem. When it comes to aphids, the female aphid does not have to have a male aphid in order to reproduce. You see, there are certain types that they can just make babies without a male even being around. And so that's why aphids come in, in hordes. There's just a ton of them, a ton of aphids, because all the females can make more eggs, make more baby aphids without the help of a male. So it's a never-ending process. So uh, as, as uh, like I said last week, Barney Five says, nip it in the bud. Get it early. Get those pest problems out of the way. And so if you need some ideas on how to prevent pests, how to make sure they don't become a major problem, uh, be sure to check out last week's show. And, of course, you can do that online at NewSouthernGarden.com. We like to, after we air the shows live here on WRWH 93.9 FM, we like to put them on the Internet Put them in the cloud, right? Whatever the cloud is up in the sky where all the information lingers. Put it in the cloud so that you can access it. And, of course, uh, New Southern Gardens on uh, the major podcasting apps. Pretty much, I think, pretty much anyone you can think of. So, with that in mind, check out last week's show, NewSouthernGarden.com, and also Facebook and Instagram. And referring to the website and also Facebook and Instagram, We've been collecting your questions because today is our Q&A week, which of course means that you send your questions to us, whether it's uh, through a message on the website, NewSouthernGarden.com, or maybe you've sent us some pictures and things or videos on Facebook and Instagram. Like I said, if you've got a question or a problem, if, uh, be sure, if, you know, if, if you need to identify something, if you want to know if something's a weed or if it's a good plant, uh, if you have something in your landscape you just love and you don't remember the name of it because you threw away the tag that came with it from the nursery, uh, send us a picture of that uh, in this business. 
In this business, a picture is worth more than a thousand words because there are so many plants. I tell you folks, if you want us to help you identify a plant, for instance, and you give me this description, well, it's a plant that has stems and there's leaves on the stems and those leaves are green. Can you help me with that? <laughs> We've got to be as specific as possible because, uh, of course, there are plenty of plants in your landscapes, plenty of plants in the world, plenty of plants at the nurseries that may look very similar. And most of them, most of them have stems with green leaves. So uh, sending us pictures like that can really help if you've got a problem uh, this, this spring and going into summer. Pest season is, pest season is really bad in the summer, right? But it starts early. All right, like I said, the aphids on my roses this week, it starts early. So if you've got questions, at the end of every month, we try to go to the mailbag, go to the mailbox, the inbox, the Facebook message, whatever, and we want to answer your questions because we want you to be successful in your landscape, uh, not just generally speaking. We want to help you specifically if we can. And so we've got a couple of great questions today that we can get to, and I think uh, you're going to enjoy this program because there are folks waiting for these answers. That's the only thing, right? Since we dedicate the last Saturday, I feel so bad, but... Uh, if we get enough questions, we will just keep on answering, uh, even if it's not the last Saturday of the month. But I guess we should probably just jump right into these questions today. The first one that I'd like to talk about is from Claudia. And Claudia uh, sent this uh, through NewSouthernGarden.com, our message app there. And she says, I have done some research on tulips and bulbs. I think I planted a non-perennial type. I read where you should apply a liquid fertilizer after blooms die to encourage the bulbs to store more energy to rebloom the following year. What type of liquid fertilizer should I use and when do I apply and for how long? Thanks. P.S. Are you knowledgeable about Bermuda grass care? Well, thanks for your question, Claudia. I'm glad that it's sort of a two-parter here. I know you don't have a specific question about the Bermuda grass, but maybe I can make some notes on that to help you out. But let's start with the tulip and the bulb thing. So, uh, let's see. All right. Claudia says that she bought a sort of non, she's afraid she bought a non-perennial type of, of tulip or, or maybe bulb. Well, let's take the tulip part because in the South, tulips are perennial. They will return year after year. But they may not really do much blooming, if any, after that first year of planting. So even though tulips can handle our winter, they make it through just fine, they're not a big fan. Actually, a poor fan. They're a poor fan of our summers. Tulips don't care for all the heat, the humidity that we have. It gets dry, and yet the air is filled with moisture usually. And so... When you receive a bulb, a tulip bulb, from uh, the grower, usually these guys and girls are growing and producing tulips in Holland. That's the biggest area of tulip production. And I've never been to Holland, but their climate is different. They won't have as much uh, heat and humidity. They, they will be cooler and uh, moisture, as far as ground moisture, may be higher during the growing season. And so out in Holland, these plants are able to make it through the summer, store plenty of nutrients in the bulb to then rebloom the next spring. So, Claudia, I don't want you to get discouraged 
that even though a tulip is perennial here, uh, don't get discouraged that it won't rebloom. It's always worth maybe planting some each year on a small scale. Uh, or it, it's, it's worth just seeing what happens and trying out what, what, what goes on. So here's generally what we would do in the South, because that's where we're growing here. With our, you know, hot summers, sometimes dry but still humid uh, many days, we can plant the bulbs, the tulip bulbs, in the fall or through winter because those bulbs do need a number of chill hours. And chilling hours are the uh, number of hours that a plant gets, say, below 45 degrees. And so in order to set a, a bloom, most bulbs need to have that chill hours. So with that in mind, you want to plant tulips early unless you purchase plants, uh, bulbs, that are pre-chilled. You see, they can do that in coolers. The growers may take these bulbs and put them into large refrigeration, refrigerated coolers like produce, let them stay in there for several months, and then ship them. Uh, Pre-chilled bulbs may be more expensive because, of course, there's another process there. They're not just pulling them out of the ground and putting them in a bag. They're taking them out of the ground, put them in a cooler, then putting them in a bag to ship to you. And so they may be a little more but you can buy pre-chilled bulbs uh, that you won't have to worry. You could plant them in the spring, and they should still bloom. So we've got to get them in the ground, get that chill hour going, and then as soon as the foliage starts popping up, and that could be late winter, early spring, depending on the variety and the type, I would go ahead and fertilize them then with a higher phosphorus and potassium fertilizer. We do want to make sure the plant has some nitrogen, but it may be something like a 5, 10, 15, okay? So that's 5% nitrogen, but 10 and 15% phosphorus and potassium. And that is going to help stimulate flower production and root production. So that's the first kind of fertilizer that we need to add uh, to our tulip growing process. Then, of course, they bloom. And as soon as they're done blooming... You're exactly right, Claudia. They need to be recharged, if you will. And at that point, you can give them higher nitrogen and, uh, well, we'll call it a well-balanced fertilizer. Good nitrogen, good phosphorus, good potassium. And you can continue using that as long as the bulb or the foliage from the bulb is still above the ground. But we've got to take a quick break. And when we get back, I want to talk about a dramatic change that happens to tulips. A dramatic change happens to tulips soon after they bloom and the temperatures skyrocket in the summer. It's a sad thing. It's a sad thing. But I'm going to tell you what's, what's happening and if there's anything we can do about it. So when we get back, the dramatic change after a tulip flowers uh, after this break. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone. So get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well.
So, so gang, it's it's sort of a shame the way that Tulip responds to our southern climate. Before the break, we were talking about tulips because Claudia has planted some. She's afraid she's planted some that are non-perennial types. And in general now, uh, tulips are perennials. Usually, plants that can't make it through our winter, we call annuals, okay? Like begonias and petunias. We can plant them in the spring. They love our summer. But they just hate our winters. They would rather have a cool, uh, sorry, a, a warm winter, not a cold winter or cool winter like we have. But in the case of tulips, they're sort of the reverse. They would rather have cooler temperatures in the summer than an extremely brutal summer like we generally have. And so even though the plant, the tulip plant, continues to grow in the south, and I have some tulips that I've planted. They were, they've been in a container for a long time. I'm going to give you some tips later about using tulips in a container that I think you'll appreciate. Uh, but I've had some tulips in containers for years now, and they keep coming back. But they haven't bloomed in all this time uh, except for that first year. And that's the main struggle with us growing tulips in the south. The plant will put up leaves, the bulb will push out leaves, but they just don't push up bulbs after the first year. And here's the reason why. Before the break, I was telling you that after the tulip plant blooms and our temperatures start to skyrocket and start to get really warm, the tulip sort of shrivels back. And you'll see that, Claudia, this year. Even though after they bloom, we would like to give them a fertilizer that is well-balanced with plenty of nitrogen, plenty of phosphorus, plenty of potassium, and particularly a slow-release fertilizer, one that's going to release over the course of 60 days, 90 days even. We've got a a great uh, fertilizer at the nursery, of course, at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, where you can find me throughout the week. It's a 12-6-8, and it lasts for 90 days. So making sure that that plant can or any plant, really, can pull up the nitrogen and the phosphorus and the food that they need throughout a three-month period is a great thing, and you don't have to constantly be applying it. Now, with that being said, no matter if we pump it full of nitrogen or phosphorus, give it whatever it wants, whatever it needs, it is going to start shriveling back and retreating back inside the bulb as soon as the summer temperatures get too extreme for the tulip. And what that does, you see, is that causes the bulb to just have enough, just have enough stored energy, if you will, to make leaves the next year. It takes a lot of stored energy for the plant to bloom again. Now, it could maybe rebloom over the course of several years, even though it's getting a little bit of nutrition one year, maybe a little bit the next, a little bit the next, a little bit the next. It may store up enough to push out a bloom over several years, but generally, they're not going to be a dependable blooming plant in your landscape unless you replant new tulip bulbs year after year. So with that being said, I love the tulip. The tulip blossom, it's got a great history. As a matter of fact, uh, back several hundreds of years ago, around 1700s, 1600s, there, were, there was what they call tulip mania. And people were going for these wild and crazy forms of tulips and were using tulip bulbs as cash 
as as bills, as payment for things. People were buying tulips and then uh, using them to trade for everyday goods. It became a sort of short-lived monetary system, the tulip bulb. So great history about the tulip. But, of course, all of that crashed, and we still have some great tulips, and they're fairly cheap these days. So you can always buy a few each year. Uh, to make sure you have a blooming tulip. But, Claudia, don't give up on the ones you've planted this year. Keep feeding them, keep fertilizing them while they're green and above the ground, which will be this time of year until it gets really crazy hot. See if they will do something different for you. Uh, Make sure you compost around the bulb area with manure, uh, maybe even uh, chicken or any kind of compost, whatever kind of manures and, and compost you can get your hands on leaf litter, anything just to improve that soil because that will help to benefit them greatly. I don't think that anything is a lost cause in gardening because really gardening is just a big experiment anyways. It's trying something new, trying something different. Of course, that's what we want to do here at Lanier, at, uh, not Lanier Nursery and Gardens. You can come see me there though, but on New Southern Garden. Now, I do want to address Claudia the fact about whatever whatever you read online about liquid fertilizer. You can always use liquid fertilizer on really any plant, but here's the thing. Liquid fertilizer needs to be considered a supplement, okay? It needs to be considered a supplement. Now, I've already talked about the slow release. Usually, they're granule fertilizers, some kind of pellet that are well-balanced. Those are your supper, okay? That, that's your supper for your plants. That's dinner for your plants. Uh, Slow-release slow-release, well-balanced fertilizers are going to be long-lasting. They're going to be hanging around in the soil available to your plants for maybe several weeks or even several months, like the case of the one I mentioned earlier. And so that is steak and potatoes for plants, all right? Having a well-balanced, slow-release fertilizer is steak and potatoes dinner. But the liquid feeds need to be considered a candy bar. Okay, the difference between eating a candy bar and a uh, eating a steak and potato dinner is, yes, they both give you energy, but the candy bar only gives you a short burst of energy. As a matter of fact, the liquid feeds are so readily available to the plant when you water them that uh, if they can't pick it up or they don't need it all at one time in just a few hours, maybe a couple of days, the nutrients, some of the nutrients in that liquid feed will volatilize into the air. They sort of evaporate into the air. So the nitrogen that's in that blue stuff that you mix up, right? Maybe the miracle Grow or the uh, Peters. Those kinds of products are so readily available to the plant that if it doesn't need it, it won't use it quick enough before that nitrogen just turns into atmosphere. It turns into gas. And so there's nothing wrong with feeding any plant a liquid feed, but don't Please don't, and I beg people at the nursery who who shop there, please don't use the liquid feed as the only source of nutrients for your plants because we won't be able to water them with that stuff soon enough, quick enough, and uh, even though they'll get a short burst of energy when you do water them, they have nothing in between waterings to use, essentially. 
So those slow-release pellets or some kind of organic fertilizer like any of the uh, Espoma products, the Holly Tones, the Garden Tones, the Rose Tones, those things we've got plenty to choose from at Lanier Nursery and Gardens. But anyhow, those are the kinds of things that are going to be long-lasting and are going to serve... They're going to serve your plants over the course of, of, of time. And the same goes for your tulips. I would, when, when I plant the bulbs, I would use a slow-release fertilizer at planting because they can pick up some phosphorus and, and uh, potassium to build a healthy root system. And the stronger the root system grows, then the better blossom you'll have, the bigger the blossom you'll have. And then, yes, Claudia, after it's done blooming, if you want to try to keep those tulips uh, going in the landscape, go ahead and feed them with a well-balanced, slow-release fertilizer again. But in between those pellet feeding, if you will, feeding them the pellets, uh, granules, in between those, be sure you can, every time you water them, you can use something like miracle Grow or some kind of liquid fertilizer. Now, here's what I've done with tulips you know, being in the South, it's a little different to have to grow them. We've already discussed that. But what I like to do is over the fall, when I plant up a large container container of uh, pansies or violas and snapdragons and things, I like to hide tulip bulbs down in between those pansies, down in between those uh, snapdragons and violas. And then in late winter, early spring, when the pansies are surging again before they die, the tulips will pierce through them and have blossoms well above on those, you know, stalks that they make. They'll have blossoms well above the pansies and violas. So think about using tulips year after year in your container plantings. If you do it right, you'll have blooms through the winter with the pansies and then blooms in the late winter, early spring with pansies, violas, and your tulips. Then, of course, you can pull out the tulips, pull out the pansies, and put in begonias and petunias. When we get back, gang, I'm going to touch on Claudia's question about Bermuda grass care. Hang on. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, gang, thanks for hanging on through that break like a tulip over our southern summers. If you're just joining us today, we are answering your questions. This is our Q&A week here on New Southern Garden. And we were talking about Claudia's question about tulips. And yes, tulips are wonderful plants. They are bulbs. You plant them usually in the fall. They bloom in late, late winter, early spring, just depending on the temperatures. And then they usually just sort of peter out over our summers. So if you've missed any of that discussion and you're trying to grow tulips, you can find this show later uh, in a few hours online at NewSouthernGarden.com and the podcasting apps because we want to make sure that if you can't wake up early in the morning on Saturdays (laughs) or maybe you missed the show because you're out gardening, you can always find New Southern Garden online and a resource resource right at your fingertips. So, Claudia, 
also asked a question about Bermuda grass. And it wasn't too specific. It was basically just, do you uh, know anything about Bermuda grass care? So I thought I would touch on that during the second half of the show because Bermuda grass is one of the most commonly grown lawn grasses or turf grasses in the South. And there's a reason. Bermuda grass grows quickly. It can handle high foot traffic. It can handle so much foot traffic that most high school football fields are turfed with Bermuda grass. If it ever has damage or too much traffic on it and you get, you know, patches that have been worn away in a few weeks, it'll heal over and cover up no problem. But Bermuda likes it warm. It is a warm season grass. It loves the heat. It doesn't love cold, cold weather. As a matter of fact, Bermuda grass in the winter turns brown. So keep that in mind if you're looking for some kind of lawn. If you want green all year, there's some things you can do with the Bermuda grass lawn. But uh, I hope that maybe I can touch on a few tips for growing Bermuda, uh, Claudia, that may help you out. If you're trying to establish any kind of lawn, uh, whether it's Bermuda, zoysia, or fescues, it doesn't matter what kind of grass you're using, before you even install the lawn, you do want to make sure that you have softened the soil as deeply as possible. Because the research from the universities, particularly the University of Georgia, who has a great turf grass program and good research coming out of it, we see a lot of benefits. We see a lot of benefits to tilling your uh, lawn area like you would your vegetable garden. Make it super fine, powder fine. Incorporate two inches of organic matter on top of that and till that under could be compost, could be manure, could be whatever you got on hand, something well-rotted and decomposed. That is big-time beneficial to creating a Bermuda lawn. Unfortunately, a lot of folks in the South are inheriting lawns or purchasing new homes where the builder has not really properly cultivated the soil. And so the Bermuda may struggle a bit. It's still a tough grass, don't get me wrong. But as far as getting a deep, root system as far down in the soil as possible. Usually they just throw the Bermuda sod out on top of a highly compacted soil and it takes a long time for Bermuda roots or really any plant's roots to get down into that compacted soil. And so softening the soil, adding organic matter is a good way to start it off. Now, because Bermuda grass likes it warm, you may see I've seen a lot of Bermuda grass starting to green up. Uh, There's several areas uh, around our zone here that I've seen that are still slow to green up, but because it likes it really warm you may find that it doesn't green up in early spring it really greens up late spring but that's highly dependent upon the temperature and the kind of heat that we're having and really after this week and last week was very warm weather in my opinion very warm weather makes you sweat when you're out there gardening but the Bermuda loves it now Bermuda is fairly drought tolerant but if we go through a drought and you don't have irrigation on your lawn you may find that the Bermuda starts to turn brown a bit. It's going dormant just due to stress, okay? It's sort of a stress-induced dormancy because there is low moisture. And so as soon as we get some decent days of rain, it'll green back up. It is hard to kill Bermuda, I will say that. Bermuda in some areas and, and definitely in our garden beds becomes a weed. And it's a hard weed to destruct, to destroy, 
self-destruct. I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to kill because it's so aggressive. And Bermuda is, is aggressive because it has these interesting stems. You may not see them at first, but you've got to get down at the soil level because along the top of the soil, you will see these runners that we call stolons. And they run across the top of the soil, and everywhere there's a set of leaves, the plant can set new roots in, which essentially creates a new plant. And then if you dig down in a Bermuda lawn, you'll see stems that are running under the ground. We call those rhizomes. And those rhizomes do the same thing. They run along the uh, base of the soil, underneath the soil, and they'll pop up new plants all over the place. So see, this is why Bermuda makes a great lawn, because it fills in fast. If you destroy any small section of it, just a few weeks, fertilize it, and it will start to heal over and regrow. And so Bermuda is, again, a wonderful grass to use for a lawn. I know there are some people who just curse it because it can be aggressive growing into your landscape beds, growing into your garden, a vegetable garden, anywhere where it can find soil, it will grow. And so as long as uh, you make sure it doesn't dry out too too poorly in the summer, you should be in good shape. Now, Bermuda needs a good bit of fertilizer too, like all turf grasses. In order to have a lush green Bermuda lawn, you need to make sure that you're fertilizing it with high amounts of nitrogen particularly. Doesn't necessarily mean that you back off of phosphorus or potassium, some of the other nutrients, but grass, any kind of grass, even corn, corn is a grass. We've talked about that before, but it is a, in the grass family. And all of these grasses are what we call heavy feeders, which means they do need copious amounts of nitrogen in order to grow all the leaves that they grow. And so you can be constantly, or at least depending on the type of fertilizer you're using, if it's a slow release, follow that program that's on the bag. Maybe it's a, a 30-day release, 60-day release, 90-day release. If it's not a slow-release fertilizer, you may want to fertilize every month at least through the summer. Um, but making sure you have high amounts of nitrogen. Now, what does that look like? Well, when you look on the bag of turf grass fertilizer, you may see 20% nitrogen all the way up to 40-something percent nitrogen. That's a lot of nitrogen, folks. And so your Bermuda is going to love it. But don't overdo it uh, to the point where you're giving it so much it's sort of becoming uh, poisoned by the nitrogen in a way. And one way to start out to know how much you need as far as fertilizer goes is to uh, test the soil. Uh, go to your county extension office, um, cooperative extension service, if you will. It's, it's run by the University of Georgia, but there's one in pretty much every county around the state. And you will submit to them a soil sample and they will, in just a few days, really, usually it takes maybe as long as a week, maybe 10 days, but they will submit to you via email, which makes it super fast, a report of what they're finding in your soil. And when you submit that soil sample, you will tell them that you're growing a Bermuda lawn. Or if you're growing a vegetable garden and want to test it, you can tell them you're growing garden vegetables. Well, what they will give you is a report of what they see, and, and they will also tell you what you need and what you need to do to grow whatever kind of crop it is you are growing. So it can get very specific, which is wonderful, because you will know exactly how much and when to apply. So with that in mind, that is highly recommended to keep a Bermuda lawn, a Georgia lawn, uh, really any kind of gardening space going, uh, getting a soil sample.
Now, watering, uh, if you have an irrigation on your lawn, you want to make sure that you're watering deeply but infrequently. So that means don't water just the top inch of soil three times a week. Water six to eight inches of the soil maybe once a week. You see, we want to get the water down as deep as possible so that the roots of the plant will grow down as deep as possible so they can have excess water uh, at their root tips, at their fingertips, if you will. If we baby our plants, and this goes for the vegetable garden as well as the ornamental garden, if we baby our plants and water them with just a little bit of water but every day, they're going to get used to that. They're not going to have any need to search for deeper water. And that means you will be the guy, you will be the girl out there watering your plants, babying your plants day after day. But if you sort of stress them a bit and give them plenty of moisture way down in the soil, then they will find that water and they will realize, well, if they had a brain, they'd realize <laughs> that I can grow way down here and not dry out. So with that in mind, watering uh, the, the, the most important watering tip I can give you is to water deeply but infrequently. Don't water shallowly but frequently. That causes some major uh, maintenance problems for you. Now, there's the other thing we've got to think about when it comes to Bermuda, and that is the uh, fact that we've got to mow it. We've got to mow it. Now, frequent mowing is going to keep your lawn dense and tight to the ground. But if you go maybe even two weeks without mowing in the summer, you're going to find that your Bermuda gets tall, and when you do mow, it looks very brown, okay? That is a problem. It, it's sort of like scalping. Scalping is where you're cutting below the green and exposing the little stems that are there uh, below the leaves. And so if you're not keeping your Bermuda at a certain height on a regular basis, it will outgrow that height. And when you try to bring it down, it'll look twiggy. It'll look just like a, a brown dead lawn. But in a few days, really, maybe a week or two, you will see that it's recovered. So it's nothing wrong with it. But mowing regularly is going to be uh, critical. Now, weed control. Bermuda, an established Bermuda lawn, can really control weeds. That's for sure. Because it's so dense and it's so thick. And those rhizomes and those stolons we talked about are just covering the soil, preventing other things from popping through. But yet, certain plants find a way. So, with lawn of any kind, we're usually starting our weeding program with a pre-emergent, which means we're trying to prevent weeds from even starting to germinate. And that usually happens twice a year. For the spring weeds, we usually apply February, March, some kind of pre-emergent to choke out any weed seed. And then we'll do the same for winter weeds sometime September, October, before it starts getting cool. Now, throughout the summer, you will have to use some post-emergence to keep a weed-free lawn, and that means you'll be either spot spraying or throwing out a granule that will kill broadleaf weeds but not damage your Bermuda grass. With all of these things being said, you can see that a Bermuda lawn, really any lawn, turf grass in general, is a high-maintenance plant. You've got to weed it, you've got to feed it, you've got to mow it, you've got to blow it, you've got to bag it, all of these things. And so I like to recommend, when we talk about lawn, to reduce the size of your lawn. Lawn is great for playing with kids and, of course, recreation, things like that. And it's a good uh, accent to a garden. But if your entire landscape is lawn and you want it perfect, spot-free, 
it's going to be high maintenance. A shrub, a perennial, doesn't need that much attention like a lawn does. The other philosophy that I take when it comes to lawns (laughs) is if it's green, let it be. If it's green, it's a lawn. If you can mow it and it's green, yeah, it may have weeds. It may be a mixture of grasses. But if it's green, let it be. It's your lawn. Otherwise, uh, you've got to do all these regular checkups on it. So, Claudia, I hope that helps answer your question about Bermuda grass. But if you have anything specific or specific problem, feel free to shoot us a message again uh, after you listen to this week's program, and we'll be glad to answer your question next time. Well, when we get back, folks, we're going to talk about some other things that creep, but they're ornamental. That's ground cover. So hang on tight. We'll be right back. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. (laughs) At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. Well, gang, we know spring is in the air because there's pollen everywhere. Freedom of birth is rooted me from the and <laughs> this whole show, I'm trying to prevent from coughing and hacking into the microphone. Don't want to bother you, but I can feel my post-nasal drip is on the move. So we're down here to the last segment, and I, I hope I can uh, make it through without having to cough all over you. But... With that being said, there are some other things on the move in our landscape, and that includes ground covers. Before the break, we talked about Bermuda and lawn, and those are always good ground covers for certain areas where you want to play and recreate and walk. But there are some plants that can quickly cover the ground and give you coverage and beauty all at the same time, lower maintenance than a lawn, I would say. Um, but that's where our question from Vicki comes from. And Vicki is a, a wonderful listener of the program. She's asked many questions and she's local. She comes shopping at the, the nursery, at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, where you can find me throughout the week. And she says, um, I'm hoping you can help Help me out again. I'm desperately looking for ground covers for sun and shade. I have Creeping Jenny in some contained areas, but I am hearing it will choke out my other perennials. It would be great if I could find something that worked at covering the ground as well as the Creeping Jenny does. Different heights would be great. Flowers, a plus, and evergreen for extra points. The icing on the cake would be picking them up at the nursery. Thanks in advance. Love the podcast and the nursery as always. We appreciate those words, Vicki, but we also appreciate your question to make this program today uh, a good one. So, yes, Vicki, there are some other plants than Creeping Jenny that you can use. And for those of you who don't know Creeping Jenny, I should probably start off with that. Uh, Creeping Jenny is in this wonderful group of plants we call Lysomachia. 
That's its botanical name, Lysimachia. But Creeping Jenny is a much better name, more memorable, and it is true to its name. Creeping Jenny is this very low-growing ground cover. Uh, the old-fashioned variety was kind of a, a darker green, but nowadays the standard is a very light yellow, lime green to bright yellow. And they have these perfectly almost like round like a dime, round-shaped leaves that just uh, follow each other up and down these long stems. And see, they have those rhizomes and those stolons that we talked about with Bermuda grass, and that's how Creeping Jenny can fill a bed, cover the ground, and choke out other plants. She moves quick. She can grow maybe three foot in one year from just a small little plant that you pick up at the nursery, and uh, does a good job. But of course, Vicky's worried that Creeping Jenny may be too aggressive around some plants, and that is a good concern because even though Creeping Jenny chokes out weeds, she doesn't really know what a weed is. She just uh, covers the ground and chokes out almost anything. But Creeping Jenny is wonderful in containers uh, because she spills over the edge of a pot, so she has a good place, and I still like her. But with that in mind, Vicky, we've got some other plants. I've thought of some other plants that I've got in mind uh, that can do well. Now, Creeping Jenny is considered to be an evergreen, even though she's not as hot over winter as she is in the spring and summer. But Creeping Thyme, Creeping Thyme is a nice evergreen that does bloom. So I think I've gotten some brownie points for hitting all those points. Creeping Thyme is in the thyme, like the culinary thyme, it's in the thyme family. So when you walk over this, uh, Creeping Thyme works well. It's only maybe an inch or two tall. It doesn't get very tall at all, and it will work its way in between a pathway, in between stepping stones on the edge or border of things. You can step on it, and when you walk on it, it releases that timey fragrance into the air. But the creeping time, there's one called pink chintz, which is really a standard because it's such a great plant. It gets dense, it grows quickly, and it blooms with these tiny little pink flowers against that sort of ashy gray uh, uh, ashy gray-green leaf, really attractive, creeping thyme. Now, we also wanted to talk about a few things that can grow in the shade, so I want to mention Asiatic jasmine. Asiatic jasmine is an aggressive ground cover. Uh, it covers ground pretty quickly, and it gets dense and thick. I love this plant. I think it's very attractive. It's very pretty, uh, but it is one of the taller ground covers, Vicky. so if you need something with some height, you may get 8 to 10 inches height on this, uh, but if it gets too high, you can mow it down like you would your Bermuda grass, and it will just restart and grow over at a lower height. Now, since that one can go in the shade, that one is a check right there, but it also can grow in full sun. But there is another ground cover called Ardizia. Ardizia is an evergreen ground cover with larger leaves, and it is very attractive. Its new growth is sort of bronze, and so it has a lot of color when it first starts to grow. And then they have little white flowers on them that turn into brilliant pearly red berries. When I say pearly, I mean they're the shape of a pearl, but they are a bright red, like a holly bush, but it only gets maybe 8 to 10 inches tall, and it will spread and creep really quickly in a shady area. This marlberry or ardizia is its name. Marlberry, I don't know which one I like better. Ardizia, whatever. Either one, whatever you call it, it is going to love a shady area under trees on the north side of a building, and it will just fill out and choke out weeds. Uh, it might be a little too aggressive, though, for your perennials. Now, 
sedums. Sedums work very well with perennials, Vicki. So sedums are those low-growing plants, maybe only getting six inches tall. They've got small leaves, so great texture, and their foliage comes in a variety of color. There's one called Angelina, which sort of has some uh, reds and oranges and some yellows and greens. Then there's Lemon Ball, which is a bright chartreuse or yellow, and Blue Spruce Sedum is just like a ground cover blue spruce tree okay it only stays a few inches tall but it does have blue foliage and really all the sedums usually have foliage all winter long so fairly evergreen now on the blooming side of things verbena there are some great verbenas out today that are going to come back year after year. They die under they die to the ground in the winter but they start over in the spring with new stems, and they bloom pretty much all summer. And verbena will work very well with your perennial garden, Vicky. I think you will find that having blooms just a few inches off the ground and blooms up in the air with your other perennials, you'll find that verbena is sort of a must-have. And so the verbenas come in a variety of colors now. Homestead purple, as the name suggests, it's a great shade of purple. It's actually a native plant. It's verbena canadensis, which means from Canada or really North America. But that one is a wonderful plant. And endurascape verbenas comes in reds, whites, pinks. They get about the same height, maybe up to eight inches tall, but they just meander around perennials. They're not evergreen, but they're a great plant. Now, Creeping St. John's Wort, I have to talk about that because Creeping St. John's Wort, it likes full sun but can handle some part shade. Great pollinator plant, stays only about 8 or 10 inches tall, works well with other perennials, is not too much of a thug like Creeping Jenny. It's not evergreen, but it tends to hold some of its foliage over the winter. And so the Creeping St. John's Wort will bloom in the summer with those classic St. John yellow flower. Looks good uh, with purple plants, pink plants. The last little plant I'd like to talk about is Mazus. Mazus is a wonderful creeping ground cover that can go sun or shade. They have these sort of um, uh, snapdragon-like flowers, but they're only a few inches tall. They come in purple. They come, or blue, I should say. It's really purple uh, or white, and they can really make an impression on the low-growing side of your landscape. So hopefully, Vicki, some of these uh, ground covers will work for you. If you want to come check them out at Lanier nursery and gardens just come by and see what's blooming well gang i'm glad that we've got some questions today to answer i wish we could get to them all but if you've got questions check us out online at newsoutherngarden.com on facebook and instagram and for new southern garden and wrwh this is nathan wilson hoping that you stay well and grow well see you next week Thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.